Good morning. Happy Columbus Day weekend. I didn't realize so many people were fans of Columbus, but uh, we have a lot of fans of Columbus, but we thank you for coming here and celebrating Columbus with us this weekend. This is wonderful. You have a blue bulletin. Hopefully you do. And there's just an enormous amount of wonderful announcements that are in that bulletin. And I know every one of us reads it with great anticipation as I do. But uh, if you'll just take a look at that, there's a little perforated card in there that's called a connect card. You can write information on that, drop them in the gray boxes on your way out if you want to communicate anything back and forth. We'd appreciate that. Uh, just a couple things in addition to what you see here. Well, they're in here, but just that I want to highlight with you. Two weeks from today, we're going to start a new series on the book of Daniel. I've been very excited about that. I've been looking forward to it for a very long time. The book of Daniel, we're going to go right through it. Verse by verse, line by line, there's so many incredible stories. It's a prophetic book. It's just absolutely awesome. So two weeks from today, we're going to talk about uh, Daniel. We'll begin a series talking about Daniel. We're having a baptism on Thursday, November the 3rd. If you'd like to be baptized, the contact information is here. And then finally, um, and I'll say something about this later, but the author of The Shack, some of you have read the book The Shack. I know some people here have actually bought many copies of The Shack and have distributed it. And we're going to have the uh, author of The Shack, Paul Young. He's going to be here on Sunday, November the 6th to speak to us that day. All right. We're going to run a video clip right here. So just watch the screen. See what you think. Hello? Hello? I'm looking for my wife. Wait. Okay. 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 This is where it has to happen, and this is where it has to happen. I'm not letting you get rid of me. How about that? But tonight, our little project, our company had a very big night a very very big night but it wasn't complete it wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you I couldn't hear your voice would laugh about it with you. I miss, I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world, a cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. Wow. That was pretty powerful. 
You know, he could have said that a lot of different ways, couldn't he? You complete me. He could have said, I am incomplete without you. He could have said, you are the wind beneath my wings. Anybody remember that song? Or I am totally lost without you. Is anybody old enough to remember that line from that song? Is anybody young enough to know, your love is my drug? Anybody young enough to know that song? Okay, he could have said that in all those different ways. Those two people in that scene there were separated. They're married. They're separated. They're headed to divorce court. And I'm wondering, would that scene have been just as powerful if he would have walked into that room and he would have said, you know what? Our marriage is on the rocks. All the rules of marriage are like a noose around my neck, and I really don't want to spend time with you. But you know, I gave you my word, and I'm going to stick to the rules. I'm going to stick this thing out. Like I'm bored to death being married to you, but I am going to stick to it. Would it have been the same? Would it feel like it'd be anywhere near the same? I mean, would that be appealing? I mean, just if you were a wife, would that be appealing if your husband came and said, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to stick to it. I don't want to, but I'm going to because I gave my word. Well, I want to switch scenes, if we can, for just a second and take us back to Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, 10 simple rules are given by God through Moses. Very simple rules. And those 10 simple rules proved to be a noose around the necks of the people. For 40 years throughout the desert, they were a chore and a bore. And their relationship with God was up and down. Mostly the relationship with God was down. There was a lot of apathy. And what we see is all throughout the Bible, actually, that's the constant struggle, is an apathetic relationship with God. It just is. So in Deuteronomy, what happens, so that's Exodus 20, 40 years to where we are now in Deuteronomy chapters five and six, here Moses reissues the 10 simple rules again. The book Deuteronomy, the name Deuteronomy means second law. So if you want to write that in, remember, it's actually very important. Second law. There's not a new law given. It's the same law. It's just that they were having a hard time with it. So we thought, Moses thought, God thought, let's do this thing again. Maybe there was something that you misunderstood the first time in the 10 simple rules. Let's go through the simple rules again. So the rules are given. And then after everybody... The simple rules are stated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. You kind of get a little break in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And God explains some things. And then after that, there is an onslaught of rules. It's like an avalanche of rules that comes down. And there's rules for everything. I did just a quick fanning through the book of Deuteronomy and looked at the different rules that were given. And here's what I came up with in about 60 seconds worth of time. There are rules for food. Food rules. There's money rules. There's worship rules, rules for your animals, labor rules, warfare rules, legal rules, marriage rules, parenting rules, crime rules, divorce rules. There is even a section in the book of Deuteronomy called miscellaneous rules. In other words, if that wasn't enough for you, let's just sprinkle some miscellaneous stuff on the top. All right. And then it says in Deuteronomy 28, if you follow all these rules, you're going to be blessed. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. You're going to be blessed when you're in the city. You're going to be blessed when you're out in the country. You're going to be blessed when you leave to go to work. You're going to be blessed when you come home from work. Your kids are going to be blessed. Your cattle's going to be blessed. Your food is going to be blessed. 
everything it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you follow all the rules, everything you put your hand to will be blessed. Now, this is fantastic. There's only one problem. They didn't follow any of the rules. They didn't before, and they're not going to now. It was a constant problem with following the rules. Now, we're much better than they are, so it probably is going to go much better for us, right? All right, God knows this. God knows that they had a hard time following the rules. God knows that we have a hard time following the rules, and so that's why God tells us in the Bible over and over again that the rules are not the answer. Are they important? Yes. Are they answer? No. They are not the answer. It's really critical that we get our brains wrapped around this because we love rules. As people, we love rules. We aspire to it, and then we hold up to the rules and somebody else doesn't. We can look down on them, and we feel better about ourselves, on and on. We could talk about all kinds of stuff. The rules must follow behind the relationship because the relationship must always be king. If there's anything you get out of this message today, it's the fact that the relationship must be king. The relationship with God must be king. Now, let me talk to parents for just a moment because this series is called Modern Family. So if you're a parent here, here's the thing. If you have strong rules for your kids, strong rules, authoritarian, whatever, you've got rules for your kids, and we all have rules for our kids. You have strong rules for your kid, but you have a weak relationship with them, you're going to do them damage. You're going to do them a lot of damage. I talked a few moments ago, Paul Young, author of The Shack, is going to come. And one of the things that he is probably going to share in his talk with us is his father was a Christian missionary. And his father, this Christian missionary, had strong rules for his son, Paul. But he had no relationship whatsoever. And that damaged him deeply. And he said something in the talk that I listened to him. He said, it took me about 50 years to wipe the face of my father off of the face of God. Some of us know exactly what I'm talking about. For some of us, we've been injured by a parent. And if that parent was a follower of God or had any position of, you know, leadership whatsoever in a church or just went to church or you know let people know hey i'm a follower of god and yeah i love the bible blah 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 and and there was all these strong rules but there was a weak relationship that can do a lot of damage a lot of damage and we have a lot of people at grace who have a lot of pain from their church experience and we're hoping that this day sunday november 6th would be a day of great healing so pray with us about that and if you know somebody that needs to experience that please bring them with you on that day when We focus first and foremost on the rules. We diminish the relationship. Again, God, the rule giver, knows this. So what does he do about it? So in Deuteronomy 5, again, he restates the rules, the 10 simple rules. And then before he gives us an abundance of the rules that I just mentioned to you a few moments ago that come at us like a tidal wave, before he does that, he pauses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and he does something extremely important. We have to really pay attention to this. Because he gives us something in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that pulls it all together. We have to understand this and grasp this. He gives us Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's called the Shema. Behold all Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Last week Derek talked about phylacteries that they would wear on their heads. That was the verse that was in there. Behold all Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema. And then it's followed up by this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What does that mean? It means from the very core of your being. 
have a loving and growing relationship with God. And that's going to bring everything together. Rules without relationship equals misery. Have you ever felt like your relationship with God was a chore? Have you ever felt like, you know what? I have to spend time with God. Not I have to because, oh man, I really want to. I have to because I have to. I got to pray. I got to read my Bible. Oh my gosh, I got to go to church and church is such a drag, right? I got to say yes to all this stuff that I want to say no to. And I got to say no to this stuff over here. And I really want to say yes to all that. Does it ever feel that way for you? You know, we go up and down, up and down, dealing with the rules and dealing with our relationship with God. It just kind of, it's like a noose around our necks. That's what it was for them. They were constantly dealing with this feeling. A bunch of lawyers asked Jesus one day, they said, look, Jesus, we'd like to know from the Bible, what's the number one rule? There are a lot of rules in here. So tell us, is there one that trumps them all? He says, yes, actually there is. There is. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, what's the weird thing about that? Why is that so weird? Number one rule is to love God. Let me tell you why it's weird. Loving someone's not a rule, right? So almost every day of my life, I have a to-do list. It's like my rules for the day. Maybe some of you do the same thing. I just like to put it down, pen on paper. This is what I got to do today. Put it down there. It's my rules for the day. I've got to do X, Y, and Z, whatever, and then stuff for the family, pick up the laundry, you know, return emails, pay bills. But I never write on that to-do list, oh, yes, and love God. Part of my rule today is I'm going to love God. Some of us are married. Maybe some of us have a spouse that writes, likes to write a to-do list. I don't know any spouses like that. But uh, I've never heard of a spouse putting, you know, I want you to mow the grass. I want you to clean the dishes. And then, by the way, I want you to love me. It's not a rule. Loving someone is not a rule. And so it's very odd that Jesus says this rule, the number one rule of all, is not a rule at all. What is Jesus Christ getting at? What the Bible is saying is this. When the relationship is right with God, rules kind of just follow by themselves. When the relationship is right with God, the rules follow themselves. So here's the question. Here's the million-dollar question, everybody. What stands in the way of our relationship with God? What stands in the way? You read this, okay? Read the book. All over place in the book, you see the same story. It goes over and over and over again. People drift. People drift in their relationship with God. Their relationship with God becomes boring, dry, dead, apathetic. In the end of the Bible, book of Revelation, there's that famous story Right. The church of Laodicea, you know, God says, I'm just really sick of this. You're lukewarm. In other words, your your relationship with me has become apathetic again. And so I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's a really strong language from God. Look, it's all over the place. Studies today show us the same thing, everybody. This is what we deal with. Our relationship with God goes weak. Now, we could stand up here and say, don't let it go weak. Pray, 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 you know, ah, and maybe come up with something neat that would maybe motivate you somewhere, somehow, something just to get you white hot for your relationship with God. But then that wears off and we all go back to normal, don't we? Because that's who we are as people. We're no different than everybody in the Bible. I used to think, I'm different than those guys. But how could they do those things? Then I realized, my gosh, I'm not any different than those guys in the Bible. So what is it? Is there something that we could focus on 
Is there a lot of things or is there something? And all I want to suggest to you today is I think there's one very large elephant that is in the room. And if we deal with this one elephant, I think all the other little elephants will follow right behind. It's like a domino effect. I think if we deal with this one thing in our relationship with God, it will begin to correct much of the other stuff that begins to follow. So I'm just going to make one suggestion to you today, and that is this. We are deceived. We are deceived. That's painful. That's not pleasant at all to say, I'm deceived. You're saying that's what's wrong with my relationship with God? Yes, I am deceived. I've been deceived all of my life. I've been deceived. And when I deal first with my own deception, it will begin to transform my relationship. Now, this is so important. I'd like you to actually say that with me and see how that feels. Could you say that? We are deceived. Ready? One, two, three. We are deceived. Doesn't feel good, does it? I mean, that's just nasty. Who wants to say that? Well, let's go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount just really briefly and talk about this and what God has to say about it. All right? First, let's pause, let's pray, and then let's jump into the Sermon on the Mount. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you'd speak to us somehow, some way, through your word, whatever it is we need to hear and understand. Open our eyes. If there's something we're blind to, help us to see it. But let your living word be alive in us and in this place, in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you know what? I didn't come to get rid of all the rules. I actually came to fulfill all the rules. You know, a lot of people think, well, Jesus, he's just like, ooh, he's like a hippie, right? He's like, hey, there's no rules, whatever goes. Well, you know, he, he says this right up front. He says, no, that's not me at all. Actually, rules are very, very important. I didn't come to get rid of them. I just want to help to put them in their proper place for you. And then he gets into a bunch of rules. The first rule he gets into, he says, you know that, one of those top ten rules, thou shalt not commit murder. You shouldn't murder anybody. Well, when he says that to them, they probably feel good, pretty good because I feel pretty good when he says, you know, I, if my relationship with God is going to be tight and I'm going to do the right thing, I don't have to murder anybody. I've got to be honest with you. I'm pretty good about consistently avoiding murder in my life. You know what I'm saying? I've got to be I don't want to brag in front of you, but doggone it, I'm doing an excellent job of avoiding murdering people. And you know what? I want to say this. I think, I think everybody, apart from God, Apart from God, like with no help from God whatsoever, I bet I could live out the rest of my days without murdering one person. That's excellent. So they probably felt pretty good about that too. They're not murdering people. I'm not murdering people. There's very few people murdering people. Hopefully it stays the same way as that. But then Jesus says, let's look a little bit deeper at the heart of the meaning of what this is about. He says, anybody who gets angry with somebody else is subject to judgment. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you serious? That's slightly more difficult. Without a raise of hands here this morning, has anybody gotten angry already this morning with somebody? Don't raise your hand. Somebody in your house? Oh, we just, somebody just got a hit over there. It's excellent. Thank you. You didn't even need to raise your hand. Just hit them. That's excellent. That's good. Okay. So uh, this, this anger thing. Today, I have not been angry yet, but I want to tell you, that's highly unusual. So, uh, if I'm, here's the thing, if I'm with my family on a Sunday morning and we're trying to get to church, there's almost 100% guarantee some anger is coming out somewhere. I just want to be honest with you. So, what is Jesus trying to tell us when he says, if you're angry, you get angry. He's trying to tell us this, you can't do this. You see? You can't. 
I have people tell me from time to time I never get angry. I don't know if we should lock them away in St. Elizabeth's or what. Who are these insane people who say they're going to get angry? That's just bizarre. What Jesus is trying to say is you can't do it. Now, all right, if you're good on that and you never get angry, okay, great. I got another one for you. Ladies, you can go into shutdown mode for just a second. Let's just talk to the men for a moment. Can we do that? So this whole thing about adultery, you know, top ten, thou shalt not commit adultery. Be honest with you, I'm pretty good on that one too because my wife over here, if I committed adultery, would become a murderer. And so then both of us, we have an issue like all at once. Whammo. Okay? Uh, but Jesus continues on and he says, men, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Now, I'm going to explain something, ladies, to what's going on in every single man's brain right now who's just heard this. Every single man knows that at this exact moment, he is toast. They in no way. I can't do that by myself. Somebody's going to have to help me. Somebody's going to have to help me. What's Jesus trying to say? You can't do it. Let me give you one last one. Can I give you one last? There's all kinds of stuff. It's sermon amounts actually exceptional it's phenomenal jesus says this matthew 5 44 i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you love your enemies pray for those who persecute you now, I, just a window into their time two thousand years ago it was actually religious righteousness in other words the most godly on fire people for god in those days are people who actually hated their enemies they hated the romans and so they had they were called the zealots back then simon the zealot one of jesus disciples he had vowed to kill anybody who was conspiring with the romans because he hated his enemies and people said oh man you're really holy because of your hatred and jesus says this he says actually you shouldn't be murdering them you should be praying for them now here's the thing let me ask you a question how much time have you devoted this week to praying for your enemies to be honest with you I have devoted that much time to praying for my enemies this week. And I don't know that's going to change anytime soon. I mean, I have little blips where I get crazy and I start doing it, but it's very few and far between. What is Jesus saying, everybody? I think he's saying in a loud, resounding way, you can't do this. You can't do this. We need God's help. We can't follow the rules. We cannot earn a blessed life on our own. John 15, 5 says it this way, apart from me, Jesus speaking, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Our major problem, my major problem in my life is I say it. I say it. I really don't believe that verse. I'm telling you honestly, I do not believe that. I'll tell you I do. But when push comes to shove and you see who John Sly is really down in his heart, I do not believe that. I believe I can do something apart from God because I am deceived. I do not believe that I am totally lost. I think I'm partially lost, but not totally lost. I don't believe that I'm perfectly incomplete. I think that I'm incomplete, kind of. 1 John 1.8 says this, we deceive ourselves. Clear, simple, plain. We, we talk about the devil deceiving us. We talk about other people deceiving us. Forget them. Small potatoes, everybody. The devil and other people, small potatoes. Our biggest problem is right here with ourselves. We deceive 
ourselves. Look at what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Wow. Does the Bible have to say that? Who can understand it? John Ortberg, a writer, preacher, says this. Humans have an almost limitless capacity for self-deception. That is amazing. There was this great uh, study that I recently read that U.S. News and World Reports did. And they asked this question. They said, who do you think? And they asked a huge, just wide array of people. Who do you think is most likely to get into heaven? I'll say it again. All right, ready? Who do you think is most likely to get into heaven? And then, you know, you could choose somebody who's living in your generation. In other words, somebody who's like living in the past 50 years or so. Somebody that we know. You can't say, oh, well, Jesus is getting to heaven. No, no. Who do you think most likely kind of current is getting into heaven? Who do you think won? Mother Teresa. She's a clear front runner. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody think anybody trumped Mother Teresa? Huh? Billy Graham? Excellent, excellent. Mother Teresa, according to this, 79% shot at getting into heaven, likely to get into heaven. I'm thinking 79%. I'm actually thinking she even has a better shot than that. That's just me personally. But people were asked, that's what it is, 79%. There's a 79% chance that Mother Teresa is going to make it to heaven. You know where she came in? Second place. Somebody beat her who got 87% of the vote. 80, not, they didn't get like 80% in Mother Teresa, 79 They got... They got 8% votes higher. They got 87% of the votes. Who do you think trumped Mother Teresa? Anybody? Who? Pope John Paul II. Anybody else? Anybody else? Who trumped her? Huh? Gandhi? You know who trumped her? I'll tell you. You did. You did. You did. The person filling out the questionnaire... 87%. 87%. They didn't, pull, they didn't pull people. They didn't pull people, nutty, pride, arrogant-filled people, and said, you know, let's get you over here. No, you, people just like us. People just like us. 87%. Number one, by far number one. Clear number one person getting into heaven is you. That's the way you feel, and it's the way I feel. We feel, I feel, that I deserve heaven more than anybody else. I'll, I'll tell you, no, I don't. You know, because I'm a good Christian, Right? And I want to be humble and I'm, God saved the wretch like me. I tell you that. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. Not when I'm being really honest. And I'll prove it to you in just a minute. This is the way all of us feel. All right. But if I can share a couple other things, if that's not powerful enough for you. The majority of people who are in hospitals right now this morning, the majority of people in a hospital right now, because they've been in a car accident, which they caused rate themselves as above-average drivers. Yes. 800,000 800, high school students were asked this question, are you above or below average on your social skills? Now, it should come out 50-50, right? Average, right? 50-50 should come out. What percentage of those high school students rated themselves below average? Anybody want to take a guess? Five? What? Zero? Who said zero? Zero percent of high school students say they are below average on social skills. If you know a high school student, you need to go to that person today and thank them for what they're doing on this planet socially because they're bringing it completely together. 25% of those 800,000 high school students said they're in the top 1% with social skills. These people are absolutely incredible. All right, how about preachers? 
They asked preachers. They said, preacher, tell us on your preaching skills and ability, above or below average, where do you think you are? Are you above average preacher or you're below average? And again, it should come out 50-50. You know what it came out as? 50-50. 50-50. I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> 90% of preachers feel that they are an above average preacher. 90% of us, we are so arrogant and we can't see our own weaknesses. 90% of us think we are well above average when it comes to preaching. One last one can I give you. Self-serving bias. The self-serving bias. You know how it is when you see somebody on like American Idol or whatever and they're singing and you're like, they really think they're going to win. I mean, they walk in like they think they're going to, I'm going to win this game. And they're just absolutely horrendous. They're terrible. And you look at that and you say, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? You're either a paid actor or you're delusional. Can't you see how terrible you are? Don't you have people in your life, they're in your family, they're co-workers, they live in the neighborhood, they have these huge glaring weaknesses, and they walk around like a, just a big dumb idiot, right? They have no idea of their weakness. And you're like, every time they pass by, oh my gosh, what is wrong with them? They're so stupid. Can't they see it? Right? self serving bias. So they asked people this question. They said, how are you with that? Like we know other people can't see it, but how do you handle, are you good with seeing your own weaknesses? The majority of people said they are way above average of understanding their own weaknesses. See, we feel like we deserve heaven more than anybody else. Deserve it. Apart from God, I can do something. That's what I really believe. God tells me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm telling you, apart from God, I believe I can do something. According to recent studies, many extensive recent studies, the number one reason that people do not have a better relationship with God is because they're what? What do you think? Busy. Clear number one, not maybe, not kind of, not like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff all around there. No, clear, too busy, way out leading the pack like secretariat, you know, clear number one, just way too busy. I can imagine when we get to heaven and we're all going to heaven because we all filled out the form, right? We all have an 87% shot at least of going to heaven. Every single one of us is going to heaven. We all believe that. So we all know we're going to heaven. So when we get to heaven, we get to meet the people of the early church, these people who right after the death of Christ had a flourishing relationship with God, just, just grew by leaps and bounds, deep relationship with God. These people were hunted down like, like rats. They lived in caves and tombs. They were treated all kinds of injustices, beaten. They were burned at the stake. They were thrown to the lions. All kinds of horrendous things happened to them. All kinds of terrible abuse and beatings happened to them. And can you imagine when I meet them in heaven? And we strike up this conversation. We talk about their relationship with God. We talk about all they endured. And they get done. And then they look at me. And they said, so John, you know, tell me, how did it go for you? What was your relationship with God like? And I'm like, ah, didn't go so well. Why, I mean, what happened? What did they do to you? I had a really busy schedule. It's going to be a really awkward conversation. I had a lot to do. I had to work and. I had to watch sports. I had to do a bunch of emails. You know, kids had a pretty busy schedule. I just I couldn't fit it in. What's that conversation going to look like? When I'm busy, everybody, this is me. 
the first thing to go in my life when I'm busy is God. God's the number one thing, out. I'm busy. Because I believe, apart from God, I can do something. It's just my reality. I believe I do that, God goes out, because I am not incomplete without God. I believe it's somehow, form, or shape that I am complete without God. I believe that I'm not totally lost without Him. I believe that apart from God, I can do something. God says in Isaiah 29, 13, very interesting words. He says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. This is me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, the relationship isn't great. They're abiding by all the rules for a while. They come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. I say that I'm totally lost without God, but I don't mean it. Can I give you one example, and then I'll try to close this down. So um, for whatever reason, I just in my life right now, I feel like God keeps saying, hey, look, you need to actually slow your schedule down. And I've been, ba- I've been battling with this a long time, but it's really coming through loud and clear in my life. And so I feel like God wants me to spend more time just kind of, well, you get the point. But at the same time that's happening, my schedule has been ramping up like wildly. It's been out of just out of control. So early this past week, I'm sitting in the office and I really needed to get a piece of the puzzle to this message today. I needed to figure something out about it, but I was so busy. And so I thought, okay, I'll do this. I'll just say, you know, like in a minute, take me less than a minute to do this. Oh God, I need your help. What do you want to say on Sunday? All right, now let's get busy. And I figure I could gut it out, right? I've got a master's in divinity. I have mastered the divine. I can figure this thing out on my own. I can figure this thing out. And I'll just plug through it. I'll work, 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 I'll, you know, until I get, I'll get this done. Because I don't have time to sit around here spending time with God. And some thought hit me. So you know what? You know, why don't you try just doing something different? Because I was a little desperate. Why don't, you, why don't you try taking an extended amount of time, get rid of the laptop, right? Get rid of, turn everything off. And just hang out with me, talk, have a conversation. Anybody who knows me, knows that knows me well, knows that when I pray, I pray on paper. Because I can't stay focused. Like if I just pray, oh God, whatever, I can't, I start, next thing I know, it takes like 30 seconds, I'm thinking about sports scores or whatever. Just I'm all over the place. So I write to stay focused. So I did a lot of writing and I stopped and God helped me and more writing. And this lasted for quite some time, actually. And I don't know when it happened, but after I'd been in it for a while, just kind of connecting with God, focusing on God... I got this prompting, like this really strong prompting. I felt like God said, this book that was in my office actually was in eyesight. I could see it. I felt like God said, that little nugget, that little piece that you're looking for, for your message for Sunday, it's in that book. Pick up the book and start reading it. I did, and it was. You might say, man, this message is terrible, so what's the deal with God? Anyway, uh, what I'm saying to you is this. I think I'm going to power through things because apart from God, I can do something. I can figure it out. And God's saying, I'm omnipotent. I'm all powerful. I'm almighty. I can fix your schedule. If you'll spend time with me, rather than it takes you hours and hours to accomplish things, I'll help you to downsize. I'll help you be much more efficient than you could ever dream about being efficient if you'll just spend more time with me. Now, when that happens to me like it did this past week, I'm like, yes, I'm going to do that. But you know what? I will revert right back to my deceived ways. I need a gift from God that I have never received so that I would stop going up and down like this in my relationship with God. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Apathy, on fire, apathetic, on fire. 
I need to see clearly how totally lost I am. I brought a little aid by, okay? This is a little lifesaver, lifesaver, right? So it's like this, everybody. God is saying, you're out in the middle of the ocean, and you can't swim. There's no boats around. There's nothing. You're going to drown. It's not maybe you're going to drown. No, you're dead. You're drowning. You're hopeless. You're gone. Flipper's not going to come by and put you on his back, a turtle, a whale, all those stories we hear about, those incredible stories, not happening to you. You're dead. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes this little life say, life is, woo, this is God. It's your only hope. Now, who would look at that lifesaver and say, you know what, I think I'll just kick here a little bit longer. I'll get to you in just a minute. When we, when we look at life this way with God, and here's the last thing on your outline, I have to spend time with God. I want to spend time with God. I get to spend time with God. Where are you? I have to do this. I want to do it. That's good. But are you at the place where like, oh my gosh, I get a lifesaver? Are you kidding me? I get to do this. I get to hang out with somebody who's going to put my life together and help me because I'm totally lost. I'm going to drown without God. I want to end by telling you just a quick story about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was the ultimate rules person. He knew rules at the age of 15 about the Bible far better than I'll ever know in my life. And he kept those rules. He was miserable, but he kept the rules. He was a great rule keeper. One day he's headed to a town called Damascus. He's going there to persecute, to imprison, and to murder Christians. And along his way, God strikes him down. So I had enough of this. Boom, they have a big conversation. Paul goes blind. They take him into Damascus. God speaks to a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ by the name of Ananias. He says, Ananias, I need you to go pray for Paul. Ananias is like, ain't no way I'm going to pray for Paul. He's here to murder me. I don't care what you say. You know, I'm not praying for my enemies. I'm not being around my enemies. I want to, God says, and then God just says, big exclamation point, God says, Go! So I don't know how he said that. I don't know if the walls shaked or what you know, happened, but boom, he goes. He goes, and then you're told this. Listen, it says that he prays for him, and scales fall off his eyes. Now, here's one thing we know. We know the Apostle Paul, very honest person from that point on, very honest about his struggles to, lift, to, to live by these rules that are here. But there's one thing that's really clear. His relationship with God was always strong and consistent from that point forward. All I'm suggesting to you today is if you'll have this divine gift, that's what I need from God. That's what I need. It's what I need. I don't need to learn to obey the rules more, everybody. I do not need to learn to obey the rules more. What I need in my life is a gift from God. I need the same gift the Apostle Paul got, that blinders will come off my eyes, and I'll finally truly believe it, not just say it with my lips, but really believe I am completely lost without God. I'll go from having to spend time with God in my busy schedule to getting to spend time with God in my busy schedule and clinging to him as my life saver. It is a gift from God. If you've never experienced that gift like I've never, I encourage you to pray for it today. I think, it is, I think in my opinion, it's the number one thing that will lead you on a path to a consistent relationship with Almighty God, seeing who you really are. Because I'm deceived and maybe you're like me. So our prayer team is prepared to pray with you about that today. If you'd like to pray with them, they're going to be over here. But I encourage all of you to pray for that on your own. Without sidetracking everything, I want you to keep that in mind. I want to ask the staff and Brenda to come up front. We're going to do something here real quick. I want you to remember that because it's important. But we need to honor Brenda today because uh, there's something very special happening here. So come on up. And the staff, where is all the staff? Here we go.
come right on in. I call this my modern family. And Derek, I guess he's coming at some point. I'm going to kill him. Uh, he calls me his father because somebody mistakenly thought that he was my dad one day. Uh, but anyway, this is my modern family right here. And um, we love each other, and we are like uh, a little family. You all remember at the beginning of this year, if you've been around this long, uh, you remember that we were praying and even fasting. We were fasting for God to reveal his will to us just individually on the path we were on. Remember how we prayed about that? And we even had these fasting service and anointing. Well, Brenda took that very seriously. Very, very seriously. She told me a few days ago, she said, anybody who had oil, I, was ha- I had oil all over me. I just pray for me, because you know, I want God's will in my life. Well, Brenda took it very seriously, and so did God. Isn't that amazing how God will sometimes take your prayers seriously? Like, I didn't mean for you to take me seriously. I was just saying it. And so God took it very seriously. Brenda came on staff here at Grace Community Church, how many, four, five, four years ago, and under administration with a small piece of doing kids' ministry. And today, like the major piece of the pie is all kids' ministry. And Brenda has done an absolutely excellent job. We are now at the point, and all of us feel the same way, that God is moving Brenda on. She's going to be around here. You're going to still see her. But God has something new for her. And in a moment, we're going to pray for her, and we're going to ask all of you to join your prayers with her. It's an exciting time. It's a scary time. It's a terrifying time. When you're like Abraham and God says, okay, now we're going to go. But we're going to surround Brenda like a family, like we always have, because we know that God has absolutely wonderful things in store for Brenda. Now, let's bring the youth group out, because the youth group, here comes my son now. Come on over, son. There he is. Do you all think that he could be my son? Say no. Uh, it's much better. Come on over, youth group. So the high school group has a, has a special present. Right Ah, uh, yes. Oh, we got a big card. Huh? Come right over. And a special plant. Macy's holding the plant. And the, and the first service, all the little kids had made a box, and their names was on it, and they all wrote a note to Brenda. Brenda's done a wonderful job. You know, Brenda's a wonderful person with just an amazing heart. And so I want to ask if you will just uh, stand with me while we pray. And then when the service is over, I don't want you to forget praying about what we had talked about this morning, today. But I also don't want you to forget to come by and uh, give Brenda a hug and tell her you love her and that you're praying for her, okay? All right. Why don't we all just gather around real close to Brenda? Put a hand on her shoulder. Step out here so everybody can get in close. Come on in and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Brenda. We thank you, Lord, for the tremendous impact she has had here at Grace Community Church and how she has served you with all of her heart. And Lord, we thank you for the difference that has been made. And Lord, we just celebrate that. Father, we want to ask that you would bless her, and as your word says, that you'd go before her and you'd level every mountain, you'd fill in every valley. That, God, that you would make your face to constantly shine upon her and be gracious to her. Lord, we just know in our hearts that you are 
bringing her to a new land, so to speak, that flows with milk and honey, as your word talks about. It's going to be special. It's going to be awesome. But the journey between here and there can be troubling. So God, we just pray all of us are just surrounding her with our prayers and our thoughts and our love. And we're going to consistently lift her before you. And we're excited about what you're going to do, about what you're about to do. And we believe in that. Today we pray that you would pour your love out upon her. And we pray that you would help us to be conduits of your love and of your presence to Brenda. We thank you, Lord, for her. In Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Music team's just going to... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I want to say something. Thank you. This is my wonderful wife reminding me. So what's in here? I won't take it out, Brenda, but there's a special necklace in here. And it, and it, it has an oak tree, right? And that tree represents wisdom, knowledge, and strength. Because that's what we think of when we think of you. All right. Team's going to play. And I want to encourage you as they play, come down, love on Brenda. And um, that's it. God bless you. Thanks for being here.